Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store. For Lean's Cape Cod, birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. And by Ocean State Bird Club, happy to sponsor Talking Birds. Why not shake off the midwinter blues with a bird walk? Or if it's too cold for your taste, come to one of our birding lectures or informal gatherings. We're online at www.oceanstatebirdclub.org and Facebook. Discover new ways to enjoy birding with Ocean State Bird Club. Good morning. Welcome to our show number 766. Start off with a couple of bird research study results. Ah, the beautiful sound of the beautiful eastern bluebird. Feeding bluebirds is certainly a pleasure for many, and now there's more evidence that doing so really does help the birds survive and thrive. New research from the University of Connecticut indicates that supplemental backyard feeding can actually help bluebird chicks fight off parasites. Meanwhile, if you're interested in building or setting up nest boxes for bluebirds, do an online search for the North American Bluebird Society. They have detailed info on the best ways to do it. So why are we playing the sound of braying donkeys? Well, we're not. Those are actually some African penguins. And although that braying may not sound very sophisticated, new research suggests that these penguins may actually communicate in voice patterns much like those of humans. A study conducted at the University of Turin in Italy draws similarities to human speech patterns. Even though the scientists emphasize that the penguin sounds don't mirror the complexity of human language, instead the vocalizations seem to provide basic information about a penguin's identity, which they likened to the kind of information that can be inferred about a person by hearing their voice over the phone. Pretty amazing stuff there. We'd like to say thanks to a friend of the show and Talking Birds ambassador from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Dan Peterson, for sending us the following bit of good news. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. It's not about the Wizard of Oz, but it is about curtains. Those at U.S. Bank Stadium in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Stadium operators had planned to leave the stadium's $5 million curtains used for providing uniform lighting for basketball games, in place until after a Garth Brooks concert. But birders pointed out that the curtains are an avian death trap that would cause the birds to crash into nearby glass. So the good news is that thanks to impassioned pleas from birders at a public meeting, the stadium folks agreed to take the curtains down between the big events at the venue so birds and basketball, and Brooks fans can all peacefully coexist. Thank you again, Dan, for alerting us to that story. We're hearing our mystery bird. Sounds a little bit like that eastern bluebird, but that is not what it is. This is our mystery bird. This is a preview of our contest, our mystery bird contest, coming along in just a bit. Here are some uh, clues about our mystery bird. One of North America's smallest birds. It's a dull olive green color with a white wing bar and a short tail. Our bird is characterized by constant wing flicking. 
and you'll nail the identity of this bird by knowing that an agitated male shows a brightly colored patch on the top of its head, and its white eye ring helps separate it from its yellow-topped cousin. That's our mystery bird. We'll do the contest in a little bit and offer some fabulous prizes for the winner of our contest. Extra, extra, read all about it. Some of the stories and videos we have for you right now on our TalkingBirds.com website and our Facebook page. Researchers are now fighting marine poaching with GPS-equipped seabirds. That bluebird story we mentioned a couple of minutes ago, we have more details about it on our website and on our Facebook page. We also have full details about that story of African penguins and their linguistic speech patterns that are similar to those of people. Some of the stories there on our TalkingBirds.com website and on our Facebook page right now. Also, check us out on Twitter and Instagram, too, at Talking Birds. We'd like to say thank you. We're very grateful and happy to be able to thank more Talking Birds listeners who have become... Talking Birds Ambassadors, handing out our cards and helping to reach out and helping to spread the word about our show and about birds and conservation. Thank you to Lori Large from Oceanside, California. She says she discovered our podcast several months ago, and she says she's been successful in increasing interest in birds with her co-workers. That's pretty cool. She says we regularly see a variety of birds uh, on our uh, through our windows at work, so she says I placed a Peterson guide to birds on the windowsill. Thank you so much, Lori. Thank you to Ann Wagner from Little Rock, Arkansas. She says she moved to Arkansas seven years ago from her native Maryland. Arkansas, she says, has great birds. She's been listening to our podcast. She says a local park called Two Rivers always has beautiful water birds including ones she says I haven't seen before. Sometimes I see birders there. I look forward to having cards to hand out to them. She also says uh, she asked her local Wild Birds Unlimited store if she could put out cards there, and they said that would be fine. And she says, one day I must get to the Birdwatcher's General Store on Cape Cod. Last time I was on the Cape, I hadn't started listening to your show yet. She says, I usually watch birds at my feeder as... I listen. Well, thank you so much, Anne, too. And a special thanks this morning to Jeff T. from Rochester, New York. And that's because Jeff has just become ambassador number 450. A little applause, I think, there for Jeff. And, of course, for Anne and Lori and all of our listeners who have become Talking Birds ambassadors. Thank you so much. Easy to do. Just go to TalkingBirds.com. And click on the Get Involved button up at the top of the page and choose the Become an Ambassador option. Still to come on our show today, we're happy to say that the guest we uh, sort of prematurely announced for last week's show has graciously agreed to join us this week instead. Virginia Rose will be with us from Austin, Texas to talk about birdability, her effort to help make it possible for mobility-challenged folks to gain access to good birding spots. Plus, we'll catch up with Mike O'Connor from Cape Cod's famous Bird Watchers General Store in a live Let's Ask Mike segment. In which uh, Mike will describe his sightings of this remarkable creature. 
would be the short-eared owl spotted down on Cape Cod. Meanwhile, in the last few weeks, we featured some pretty big birds, a couple of large ducks and a magnificent frigate bird. But this morning, we're going to go small, really, really small for this week's featured feathered friend, presented by Birdwatching Magazine. For more than a quarter century, Birdwatching has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. Is that a bee or a hummingbird? Well, you could call it a bee because that's part of its name. And you could call it a hummingbird because it is one. It's the smallest bird in the world, weighing substantially less than a penny. It's the bee hummingbird. To see one, just travel about 90 miles south of Key West, Florida, to the island nation of Cuba. That's about the only place they're found. The male of this beautiful species has a green head and iridescent fiery red throat with bluish upper parts and mostly grayish chest and belly. The larger female is green above and whitish below with white tips on the outer tail feathers. Using cobwebs, bark, and lichen, she builds a cup-shaped nest that's about one inch in diameter. It's said that bee hummingbird nests have been observed perched on the top of a clothespin. As with so many other species, the bee hummingbird's population is in decline, mostly due, say the experts, to habitat modification and destruction, as much of Cuba's natural vegetation has been converted to cultivation and pasture for cattle, with no more than 20% of land remaining in its natural state. The recent expansion of cacao, coffee, and tobacco production poses another major threat. And so the bee hummingbird represents another reason for us to all do what we can to support bird conservation and conservation in general. By the way, the bee hummingbird, Melisuga heleni, is not the same species as the bumblebee hummingbird. That's Athus heloisa. You might find the bumblebee hummingbird here in the States. It's been spotted a couple of times in the mountains of southern Arizona. But you'll need to cross the Florida Straits to the shores of Cuba to get a look at the world's smallest bird. Today's featured feathered friend, the bee hummingbird. Welcome again to our show, number 766. We do our show live on Sunday mornings from 9.30 to 10 Eastern. Listening options easily found at our website, TalkinBirds.com, with no G in Talkin'. Virginia Rose is the creator of an Austin, Texas-based blog called Birdability, which, along with other efforts, aims to help mobility-challenged people gain access to good birding spots in the area. And Virginia joins us this morning from Austin, Texas. Good morning, Virginia. Good morning, Ray. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm so happy to have you on in the show, and thank, <laughs> thanks for uh, letting us delay your appearance uh, by one week when we uh, kind of mistakenly had you scheduled for the week before. So thank you for that. And before we talk about birdability, Virginia, tell us your story, if you would, including about how you came to create this blog and how you became a birder. Alrighty. Well, um, I started birding about 17, 18 years ago here in Austin with Travis Audubon. And I'm not really sure 
how I came to it, except that I think I had it in my blood. My grandmother was a birder, and she birded well into her 80s and 90s. And my mom is a birder. Mm. Um, and so I, I did come to it late, but um, I did finally decide that it was the thing I needed to do. And so once I started with Travis Audubon, I enrolled in every class. And the field trip leaders took me on every single field trip. And um, there was never a hesitation. And um, I was just somehow able to do almost every single thing everybody else was able to do. And um, the times when I wasn't able to go in and bushwhack for sparrows, say, um, the field trip leader would encircle the bird, like the Lacan sparrow, and bring it all the way to me. And it would land, it landed on a barbed wire fence six feet away from me. Mm-hmm. So um, the field trip leaders would carry me over logs and whenever we encountered stairs, um, one of my favorite stories is Cliff Shackleford uh, was the leader, and he came to a set of stairs, and without skipping a beat, he put his binoculars on his back, leaned down, picked me up, and said to the guy behind us, take her chair. And that was it, and off we went. And so that was the beauty of Travis Audubon and the ability to just go with everybody wherever they went. And I was totally hooked. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Virginia, National Audubon published a story about you on their website as a mobility-challenged birder and talks about your efforts to compile a list of good birding spots in the Austin area that are wheelchair friendly and according to that piece there are now 34 such places uh but tell us about Na- national audubon um are they going to help make this a nationwide effort or do you know well i believe that uh they're already doing that i started um birdability about a year and a half ago when i decided to do my own birdathon i had uh, resisted doing all the area birdathons because I didn't want to slow people down and you know how birders can get competitive <laughs> and so I thought well I'll have my own birdathon and so uh, I just decided to go on five um, accessible parks that I had found in my experiences here in Austin and so I birded from dawn to dusk and um, Audubon, National Audubon found out about that and sent a photojournalist down to accompany me and so that really started it off. So um, I credit National Audubon with just paying attention to what was going on. The birdability um, birdathon was published or publicized in Austin uh, just a few days before the actual event. And National Audubon found out about it and immediately acted on it. And then we've um, done a number of things with National Audubon, um, a few webinars a few articles, a few videos, and then they invited me last July to Milwaukee for their convention to speak. And really that that was the launch for birdability nationwide. Mm-hmm. What have you found in terms of places you approach uh, Virginia uh, and trying to make them uh, bird friendly or friendly to the mobility challenge? So what's the cooperation been like, uh, generally speaking? Well, you know, that's such an interesting question, and it's the one everyone asks, Ray, but it is completely not my approach. What I have done in the last seven, 
um, year and a half here in Austin um, is just identify all of the parks that are already accessible. My approach is to find all the places that we can already do. And once we have collected all of those and created an audience, created a population of people who want to bird, who want to be able to get on the trails, who want to be able to experience the joy of birding, then I'm convinced that the country or the parks, the various birding sites, the institutions are going to respond in kind. And, you know, that's already happening. I'm getting phone calls from, you know, little places in Corpus and in Galveston mm-hmm. who've heard about birdability and are calling me and saying, what can we do? We're going to be doing a restoration project and we want to make sure that it's accessible. So I, I believe it's going to happen that way. You also talk, uh, Virginia, in that Audubon story about how being outside and birding has provided you with another benefit, becoming physically stronger. You describe it, I think, as therapy without feeling like you're exercising. Exactly. Well, I, I feel like when I started birding, um, I I had been inside for a long time, although I come from a family of campers and backpackers and hikers and you know people who enjoy being outside, but I myself hadn't spent as much time outside as I had wanted. And so I feel like when I started birding and, you know, just trying to keep up with birders on a field trip, two or three or even four hours in the wheelchair um, over trails and hill and dale and down hills and having to do wheelies to, you know, get down the hill and then having to push back up the hill, of course, um, I just found myself getting stronger and stronger physically. And, you know, more importantly, um, recognizing challenges, physical challenges on the trails that I hadn't anticipated and then figuring those out, that is the kind of confidence building experience that um, has brought so much joy to me. I mean, beyond the birds, beyond the birders is um, being out on the trail and um, having to figure out how to get over roots and rocks and ruts and through the gravel and through the sand. And, you know, it really does become, um, like you said, this is beautiful on-the-spot therapy. Um, In fact, a group here in Austin called Rehab Without Walls um, identified it as a potential for their clients. And um, I contacted them, and now we have quarterly walks for people who are rehabbing physically mm-hmm. and um so the therapists realized what a beautiful opportunity that would be for these folks mm-hmm. to get outside mm-hmm. and it's definitely happening virginia rose is the creator and host of the birdability blog very easy to find by the way just do an online search for birdability all one word or go to birdability.com virginia thanks for being on with us we certainly want to keep following your progress so please do keep in touch thank you so much ray for having me it was fun Coming up next, it's our mystery bird contest in just one minute. What's one of your favorite memories? Hmm, let's see. Well, there was this one time I went snorkeling in the Caribbean when I was a kid. It really just blew my mind. I mean, when you're sitting on the beach, it's so peaceful and you sort of forget there's a whole other world under there just full of all kinds of life. We saw the most beautiful corals. 
I remember thinking they were waving at us as they moved with the ocean. And then there were all these amazing fish. They kind of reminded me of tropical birds. They were so bright and colorful, just darting all over the place like birds in the sky. I'll never forget it. It completely changed the way I look at the ocean. Most of us have a memory of being in nature we'll never forget. Let's protect the world's natural places so more memories can be made for generations to come. Visit worldwildlife.org. Our Mystery Bird Contest is presented by Birdwatcher's Digest. Birdwatcher's Digest is much more than a magazine. Explore their publications, events, online birding store, and birding tours at birdwatchersdigest.com. We have another Texas connection here this morning because we want to say thank you to our friend of the show and Talking Birds ambassador in Plano, Texas, Shiva Gopinarayanan. I hope I've gotten that pretty close, Shiva, to the right pronunciation. He suggested uh, our mystery bird for today. Here's the sound of it. Our mystery bird is not nearly as small as the bee hummingbird we heard about a little while ago, but it is one of North America's smallest birds. It's a dull olive green color with white wing bars and a short tail. Our bird is characterized by its constant wing flicking, and you'll notice that an agitated male shows a brightly colored patch on the top of its head, and its white eye ring also helps separate it from its yellow-topped cousin. What would that be? That's our mystery bird. Beautiful prizes include the Droll Yankees Window Mount Songbird Feeder. This is a really favorite feeder for almost anybody. It has the unique songbird and blueberries design and offers a clear view of the birds right at your window. Nothing between you and the birds except that glass. It holds two cups of seed or fruit or mealworms. Plus, if you'd like to increase your ability to recognize the songs and calls of birds we have the perfect item here it's the Larkwire app good for your iOS device or online it's the app that makes learning bird sounds a game prizes here on our mystery bird contest 781-837-4900 is the number to call please call us as soon as you can 781-837-4900 meanwhile it's Let's Ask Mike live in just one minute We're for the birds, and we want to say thanks to another Talking Birds ambassador who's helping to spread the word about our show and about birds in conservation. Hey, my name is David Feldman, and I'm calling from Minneapolis, Minnesota. I heard about Talking Birds uh, originally just scrolling through iTunes, and um, as soon as I started listening to it, I realized what a great show it was, how fun it was, and how informative it was. I think more listeners should become Talking Birds ambassadors because you really have no reason not to. If you're into bird watching and you know other people who might also share that interest, just hand them a card and, you know, let them take it from there. Talking Birds listeners, we hope you'll join our ambassadors family. Just visit our website, TalkingBirds.com. And thanks. We head down to Cape Cod now where the sun always shines and the owls have very short ears. Mike O'Connor <laughs> is down there. Uh, good morning, Mike. I understand you've been spending time at the airport uh, lately. At the airport. Right? I'm from Provincetown Airport. Yeah. Yeah, we got a... Um 
You know, I think I, I, ever since Harry Potter, you know, even non-birders have been interested in uh, yeah. owls. In the owls, trouble yeah. with owls is they're hard to see. They're nocturnal. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're typically secretive, so sometimes we can hear them. Most times we don't see them. Uh, but a short-eared owl is a little bit of an exception for that. They're active hunters. They don't necessarily sit and wait for food, but they'll fly low, and they come out sometimes during the day, oftentimes at sunset. You know, they fly at night, too, but oftentimes you can see them if you go to the right habitat. And then what's nice about short-eared owls, they're pretty much, in theory, everywhere. Mm. Um, you know, they're widespread. They're in all 50 states, and they're like snowy owls that just show up once in a while. And uh, even in Hawaii, so when you go, you know, when you go surfing this year, Ray, you can go maybe look for short-eared owls. I got my board. But, <laughs> <laughs> but um, got my wax. So I got a. I was looking online, and David Clapp, you know, your friend David Clapp, yeah, you know, posted that uh, that he had seen a short-eared owl up near the Provincetown Airport. And, you know, I think we both agree that pretty much everything David says, he kind of makes up on the spot. He makes it up, usually, yeah. makes it up, yeah. right. But this turned out to be uh, kind of true. So, um, you know, my wife and I jumped in the car the next day, and we drove up. And it was a sunny day. It was like 3.30 in the afternoon. Mm. And we drove up to the Provincetown Airport, and it's at the, uh, what they call the Province Lands Visitor Center. It's right next door. We parked there, and I could thought I saw something over in the dunes, and so I kind of climbed up on the dunes, and... There was David Clapp. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. So I was very disappointed. (laughs) On the other side of the dune was indeed a short at all. And they're they're fairly tame birds. You know, you don't want to harass stuff, so I didn't want to get too close, but they're they're not skittish. And and, and I watched it for quite a while, took some pictures, and then then it flew off, and for the last couple of days, people have been seeing this owl. Now, the the downside is these owls are in trouble, at least in the northeast. Their habitat's been disappearing. The birth of grasslands and farmlands and all those areas are often turned into housing development. So their population, and even in Massachusetts, is, is in decline. But if you're looking for owls, kind of look at the e-bird post. And then in the, at around just before sunset, go to a, a wide-open tundra, a boon, a dog, a boon, a dog, <laughs> <laughs> Not someone I want to say. Dune or bog yeah. area and fields, and, uh, you know, maybe you get lucky. All right. Well, thank you, Mike, and let us know if you find any more sightings of those, uh, or of David Clapp. For <laughs> All right. We'll talk next week, Ray. Thank you, Mike O'Connor, yeah, down there at the Birdwatchers General Store on Cape Cod. Every Wednesday, Birdwatching Magazine sends an e-newsletter full of information of interest to birdwatchers, including recent news stories about birds, conservation, and science, photography tips, stories about places to go birding, bird ID tips, and much more. Best of all, the newsletter is free. Sign up today at birdwatchingdaily.com slash newsletter. Meanwhile, back to the mystery bird contest here is the bird we're trying to identify. A really small bird, one of the smallest in North America, dull olive green color, mostly with white wing bars and a short tail. Does a kind of a constant wing flicking. The agitated male shows a brightly colored patch on the top of its head, uh, and its white eye ring helps separate it from its yellow-topped cousin. You know what this is. 781-837-4900 is the number. We're going to go back to Cape Cod. It's a wonderful place. Why not? Because Charlie is down there. Good morning, Charlie. Good morning, Ray. Good old Cape Cod. Yes, indeed. A beautiful place for short The sun is shining time. always in Cape Cod. That's what I hear, yeah. What about a Charlie mystery bird? I'm going to guess a common poor will. 
a common poor will. Wow. Interesting guest, Charlie. Oh, Ray. Come on, Ray. <laughs> Don't blame me. That's our Talking Birds Orchestra there. Just a little solo performance. That's all right. Come on down to Cape Cod, Ray. Beautiful birds down in Cape Cod. We'll be down there soon. Thank you, Charlie. Have a great day, sir. Always a pleasure. <laughs> you too. The pleasure to talk to you. Thank you, Charlie. And we go to Angela now, somewhere in the great state of Pennsylvania. Good morning, Angela. Good morning. Good morning. Whereabouts in PA? Oh, about 45 minutes southwest of State College. State College, Pennsylvania. All right. So, uh, Angela, you heard the clues and such. What do you think on the mystery bird? Ruby Crown Kinglet. Ruby Crown Kinglet sounds exactly correct to me, and I believe it is. Okay. Nicely done. Nicely done, Angela. And if you will stay on the line, we'll uh, make the arrangements to send you all those nice prizes and such. Okay, great. All Thank right. you. Thank you. Angela, in uh, somewhere near State College, Pennsylvania, correctly identifying the Ruby Crowned Kinglet as our mystery bird. And with that, we have pretty much exhausted our time for this morning's show. Thanks to our amazing Talking Birds team, Debbie Bleacher, Freya McGregor, and our producing engineer, Jesse Wilkins. I'm Ray Brown. See you next week. <laughs> Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store, Orleans Cape Cod, BirdWatchersGeneralStore.com, and by Ocean State Bird Club. Happy to sponsor Talking Birds. Why not shake off the midwinter blues with a bird walk? Or if it's too cold for your taste, come to one of our birding lectures or informal gatherings. We're online at www.OceanStateBirdClub.org and Facebook. Discover new ways to enjoy birding with Ocean State Bird Club.